Toncast, Toncast. Um, I'm your host, Julie Benz, and today we have a very, 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 very special guest. Someone you may have heard of, you may not have heard of, someone who I love dearly, someone who used to live across the hall from me when we when we were at NYU his biggest claim to fame, not. <laughs> he lived across the hall from me at NYU, the wonderfully talented, uh, amazing hair. He has amazing hair. <laughs> Let's welcome Todd Anderson to the Toncast. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me on your show, Julie. I'm very excited. Of course, I'm very excited to have you on. Um, uh, you have appeared your ass has appeared uh-huh. on television <laughs> well hasn't yours too have you it has yes so i wanted to ask you how you feel about that when people tell you i'm a fan of your show i've watched your show in your head do you think to yourself they've seen my ass uh yeah that does happen um it, it that thought is triggered more depending on who is saying they like my show. You know what I mean? If it's, if it's my aunt telling me how much she likes that show, I go, ah, uh Mm -hmm." especially that was a big episode for you. So I'm sure the whole family sat down to watch it. (laughs) Well, that's what's, I mean, some of my family members did because they're uh, more, um, I don't want to say liberally minded. That's not what I mean, but they're, they're less uh, conservative in those types of areas, you know, in, in sexual areas and the areas of entertainment than maybe my parents are. Cause I told my parents, cause they were curious about it. I said, I don't think you guys should watch. You're the worst ever. (laughs) (laughs) And did they ever watch it or no? No, they took, they took my advice. They very often, uh, I, I give them, advice on which things I'm in that they can watch. And it, it all stems from when I was in this uh, <laughs> movie called devil in the flesh Two that premiered on HBO, like in the middle of the Friday night, you know, it's like, it was like a, a low budge sex, sex thriller. Uh, but I, I told them, they were like, when's that movie you did coming out? I was like, well, it's, it's going to be on HBO. So they got together with their friends cause they didn't have HBO to watch the premiere of it. Now I wasn't naked in it. I don't have sex in it. I'm just a dopey cop who gets shot in the chest. That's it. But there's a lot of exploitative sex scenes interspersed throughout the film. Uh, And, and so my dad's reaction when he saw it, he called me the next day. He's like, yeah. So I saw uh, that devil in the flesh two program. Uh, 
there's a lot of nudity in that film. <laughs> and and you look bloated. That's what he said. To oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um uh I went back to my high school and middle school a couple years ago just to like I was in town and I, they asked me to come by and talk to the kids and um when I went to the middle school they were having they were rehearsing for a play and of course they stopped rehearsals and I went in and was talking to all the kids and these are middle school kids who started did, asking did you me to get questions. up on their stage and talk to them from the stage while they sat and watched I did well I sat they had me sit so, on, I sat on because I'm not a I'm not a stander on a stage person. Right. Just chilled <laughs> but, on the stage. You got cash on the I got, stage. I got yeah. casual on the stage, and a bunch of these middle school kids were asking me questions about Dexter, and I literally all <laughs> I could think about was, "You have seen me naked. You've seen me naked, and this is completely inappropriate. You are too young to have seen me naked." It was like that was all I could think about. The whole but, time. And then I kept that. And then I was like, your parents let you watch it? Like, yeah, are you old enough? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when I run yeah, into young people who know certain bits of my work, yeah, that's been my reaction. I feel terrible because I had an audition for the a couple of the Broken Lizard guys who were making this comedy show. I, I had an audition for them. And afterwards I was like, I, I just, I can't help it. I'm a huge fan of super troopers and, you know, and uh, all this and beer fest and all this stuff. And I've been showing them to my kid and I wanted to make a joke out of that. I was like, so do you think I'm a bad parent or a good parent? If I showed super troopers and beer fest to my 13 year old. Right. And, and there, one, one of them was like, yeah, you're a great parent, parent of the year. Awesome. He was into it. And the other guy was like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And then when I went back and thought about it, I was like, oh, yeah, because the guy who played Favre in Super Troopers is like buck naked in that movie. Full frontal nudity. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny, but he was like, now I feel weird because that guy, it probably cost me uh, uh, getting that job. job? <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to be funny and I fucked it up. Yeah, so that scene, though, it's, um, you had to, I read that the direction <laughs> that was given to you uh -huh. was that you had to move your butt more. Oh, yeah, that's true. That was the... Uh... I mean, I, I, I was in two different scenarios on that show. Uh, I showed my my bare buttocks while simulating masturbation both times. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, the, you did. The one <laughs> the one you're talking about is the first time uh, in the in the with the road the seventh layer. We're on a road trip. Me and Alan McLeod's character. Yeah, and we jerk off into a campfire. And yes because of the nature of the shot and how far back it was in order to sell the masturbation, the director yelled that from behind the camera, which was really, it was pretty funny. I, 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 Did you just laugh or what was your reaction? Yeah, it, like <laughs> Alan and I were both in a very, it, like that time was somewhat easier than the second time. Actually the second time was easier because it was the second time, but there were harder things about it, I guess. But the first time, because Alan and I were doing it together, 
you know, walking right. around in robes, no pants on, nothing but a, a sock on our, our junks, our junk <laughs> jammed into a cinched sock, because uh, that's what they do for guys. Um, because we do, we're doing it together. And so much of the absurdity of the night, you know, because like one of like people could hear us screaming at each other in where we were shooting it. So like the neighbors were yelling at us to shut the fuck up while we were doing all this. <laughs> like making it, it was a great episode. You had like a huge like monologue at the top of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like huge. I would have been like, can we cut this down a little bit? <laughs> Do I have to say all these words? <laughs> yeah. On that one too, what I realized, cause, cause they were, uh, Stephen Falk honestly was vigilant about sticking to the script. There, it wasn't, there was no ad libbing that happened in that show. It was like, so, you know, especially when it was giant monologues like that, I would just memorize them by rote first thing. Like I would have to, you know, I don't know whatever techniques you use, but it, it, all I can do is just go over it and over and over it and over it sentence by sentence, you know, and it takes forever. So I did that. And one of the sentences in that monologue struck me as funny. I was like, I'm not sure what this means. Um, but you know, oftentimes like they'd write stuff in Vernonese, like my character, the way my character talked. And I would be like, man, I don't, um, I don't know what that exactly means. And then they'd explain, Oh, you're abbreviating this, 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 and this, they translate it for me. I'd be like, Oh, okay. Now I understand what you guys mean. Uh, cause it was just so funny. Uh, so in, in this case, I read it and I just memorized it. And it was like, they'll explain to me what that means when I get to set. And they were like, you memorized that perfectly and said it perfectly. But we wrote that sentence completely wrong. <laughs> and they <answered. laughs> they're like, why didn't you say something? And I was like, I honestly thought there was something I didn't know. And I assumed you guys knew what, what it meant. was. Yeah. And you would tell it and it would all make sense because it always does. But in this case, I was like, oh, no, it just is a nonsensical sentence. Okay. That's fine. Now, let me ask you, because I've worked with um, quite a few show creators who the you say it exactly as written and there is no room for improv. And um, they'll even stop you and retake a take if you said the versus uh or mm -hmm. like, real sticklers. Is Steve like that? And how um, do you feel working in that kind of environment? Like, I kind of like it. I like it. Oh, oh yeah, I'm I'm fine working in. Uh, there is a, a pressure for me if if ad libbing is expected. I don't know mm -hmm. if you feel that. Like when like for me, there's a pressure to to button the scene or you know button a moment and make it better than it is on the page. So that pressure yeah. on me, I'm not crazy about. Um, with you're the worst. It it didn't have that feeling because they were writing really well for everybody and the character. Yeah, the writing is so the writing is amazing on the show. It wasn't it wasn't you know like a fascistic atmosphere of it. It was more just like we we respect this text and we honor the what's written. Um I've been on shows where the writing I'm like meh and they're still sticklers and that's when you start to feel like why are we being sticklers about this honestly you, yeah. you, you, you know and so often when you have that feeling you, they wind up rewriting it anyway on the fly you know what I mean when yeah. it doesn't it just doesn't feel 
authentic to whatever's happening. That happens. Yeah, I mean, for me, like Joss Whedon was that way, but his dialogue was always so good. I mean, there was, we didn't need any kind of improv because it was so good. The scripts that we were getting were so good. Um, and then Mark Cherry's like that as well on Desperate Housewives. And uh, you have to be absolutely like word perfect mm -hmm. from rehearsal. From the minute you show up for rehearsal. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and once again, another show that was amazingly written and, and just, they did such a great job with it and they knew, understood the characters really well. Yeah. I think if it, yeah. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. If it's really well written and, and that's, the way the show is um, and it's so specific about every moment of itself, you know, on, on the page, yeah. then I don't, I mean, for one, like I don't feel the need to ad lib in those situations. You know what I mean? I don't feel the need to go off because it all makes sense organically when it's happening uh, through me, I guess. Is that what happens when you act? It goes through you. <laughs> Through you, it's like a spirit moves into you, and then you're through, it's out your mouth. You vomit it. <laughs> but you're so funny. You're so funny. Like, like I'm not funny. That as funny. I'm not like. So for me, improv is like scary. It's nothing. I have. I mean, aside from a couple classes at NYU, I never really took another improv class. I'm not. I tell every director, I'm not an improviser. <laughs> Don't like. You know, you want me to say something, you got to write it down. Um, <laughs> but I. But somebody like you, who you have real improv skills and talent. You know, that's why I was wondering if it was hard to work within a structure. Um. No, not really. I mean, honestly, and I think I'm a bit different than, than, a, you know, a person who comes up in improv, you know what I mean? Somebody who that's their thing or stand up is their thing. I mean, it, that's not improv was something that I did that I like to do. Um, I was lucky at NYU. I, I, I I wish you had taken the improv class I did at NYU. I wish I could remember the teacher's name. I'm a horrible person. All my memories of NYU are just. I know. They all run together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's certain people I remember specifically and I remember their names, but th this is a, a person and I only took her class for a semester. It was like an elective outside of the studio that I was, that we were going to class in. Um, but it was an improv, it was called improvisation. It was like improvisation 101 or something like that. But her whole approach to it was non-comedic. It was, she, she urged us to not be funny. She's like, if you're funny, great, but don't be funny. And, and I think that doing that, like allowing myself to be dramatic in an improv and not have to worry about making people laugh and impressing the audience made improv a little bit more mellow and chill for me on that in that way. So if I, yeah, if I'm in a situation I, I, where I have to, I can go back there. I could use that class. <laughs> I was too busy at NYU. I did um, one semester. I did musical theater. Cause for, as I love musical, well, I don't really love it that much anymore, but I loved it for a while. Yeah. Uh -huh. And, um, but I can't sing and I, I, I can, I can, I can, dance with choreography, but I wouldn't say like I'm a dancer. Like I can fake it enough, but I spent too much time taking musical theater classes that I knew I was never going to pursue. Like mm. I knew I was never going to be good enough to be in a musical. So I wasted too much time doing that. <laughs> I wish I had gone. I, I went, 
it was fun what I did. I went to like, cause you're talking about after the studio stuff was over and this was well, outside of that. This was like a fourth year semester, the musical theater or I was never, musical I, theater works. I did it in the summer. Remember I went oh. to summer school cause I graduated early cause I wanted to get out. Yeah. Yeah. So sure. I did like, I did a summer of musical theater just, you know, it felt like summer camp. It wasn't like, and it, it wasn't, I, I remember um, Adrian's med was a teacher. Do you know Adrian's med? Oh yeah. From, from TJ Hooker. Yeah. yeah. So he was one of our teachers who we were all just like lusting after. Um, it was pretty much all girls in the class. I think there were like maybe two guys and it was a musical <laughs> theater scene study class. And we had to, um, he always emphasized the importance of listening in musical theater as well as singing. So I would always team up with like the best singers in the class and pick scenes where I didn't have to do anything but listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I wasn't looking for a duet. I didn't need to do a duet with somebody. I was perfectly happy doing the scene and listening to somebody else sing. And uh, I made it through the whole semester without ever, um, without ever singing. And he, on, you know, in those recommendations they give at the end, he's like, Julie, go out to LA and get your TV show. He's like, you're not cut out for musical theater. I was like, I know. He's like, you didn't sing once in my class. I was like, no, I didn't. Adrian <laughs> Ned told you to just go get a show. That's funny. Well, you were doing yeah. shows too. We got to talk about, because I did yeah. uh, 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 another uh, NYU classmate of ours, Cricket uh, Lee Alexander. Yeah. She was Cricket Lee back in the day, but I did her show, which is also called the Toncast, weirdly. You might want to talk to her about that. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to change the name. First of all, can, uh, why Ton? I think it should be called Julie. <laughs> yeah, first, yeah, that would make more sense. The Julie cast. Would be the, the Julie, that would yeah. be, the, that would be better branding, I feel like. I shall. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you were thinking. I don't know what I was thinking on that one. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what Ton means. I don't either. I mean, it's not my show. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to call Cricket and ask her what she means by the Ton cat. <laughs> yeah, call Cricket. She's, I don't know. It's a popular name. I don't know why. I don't understand. <laughs> People use it. But she said that you were, and it's funny because we were talking uh, off mic about this, that uh, she said on her show that you were in the musical working, which yes, I was actually and I was, in. And I, and, and you both remembered, you both remembered me in it. Well, but I know, wasn't in it. <laughs> I feel like, because, like I said, my memory is so bad. Um, and I conflate things in my memory uh, that that's probably what I did. I mean, like when she said it was, I could totally see you there and in it, but it, you weren't. I, I wasn't in, I auditioned for it and uh, Judy Malik got the role. She's a much better singer than me. Judy, um, Judy, 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 Judy. It was Judy. We're both blondes. Um, yeah. I, went <laughs> we looked, we looked. I went to Judy's, I went to Judy's, uh, like grandma's house on Easter one time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was Judy, and I, I, I did audition for it, but I didn't get it. I didn't get in. I was very disappointed, um, because you know it's NYU. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I did do. I did two musicals though at NYU. I did Grease, and I did um, 
on the town. But on on the town, I played a character who didn't have to really sing. Were those main stage shows? I don't really know. Uh, Grease was at through um, CNAP. Oh, okay. Remember, they they had a big musical, and like if you were in the BFA program, you could audition for it. And so mm-hmm. Monica and I auditioned for it and got in. But then some of the CNAP kids were mad that we were in it. Um, <laughs> and then um, and then I don't remember if on the town was. I don't know what stage that was on. Um, but that was uh, Joe Rosetto and, and Aaron Peck and Andrew oh, yeah. Andy Berlin and I, I saw that. Uh, I'm sure I saw that. I must yeah. have. Yeah. Um, so, hmm. but those I'll, were the, and I never, I don't think I ever did a play at NYU. I did a lot of uh, plays. Um, but the only thing I ever did on the main stage, main stage, because like, at the, t- I, tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but in the Tisch building, there were two big black box stages. There was like main stage one and then main stage two. And then there were a couple other little, there was like another little black box and like then studio space where sometimes plays happened. Was that, am I right? Yeah, I think so. so <laughs> I also so, have a bad memory. <laughs> so I think the only time and I can't remember too because studio, a uh, 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 circle in the square, the studio. We you went to that for all three years, or I did all three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and and me too. And you like, and I, you and I did not get into the third year show. Do you remember no, that? No, this is what I was going to say. And was that on the main stage or main stage two? Where'd they do that one? I don't know. I didn't go see it since they didn't cast me in it. I was I like, well. I, I I saw it and it made me mad, but uh, uh, but I was in the previous year's Circle in the Square show, which was uh, the Cherry Orchard, uh, directed by Alan Langdon. But I had a small part that none of the like the actors who were like us in our final year said, "Fuck right. you! I'm not taking this tiny part. I'm not wasting my time on this." I took that tiny part because, oh, uh, you know, I was well. It was only because I wanted to get on the main stage and wanted to be in a play. And this was a play with mostly uh, people a year ahead of me. So I thought, you know, maybe I'd learn something. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I, I did a lot of uh, sense memory drugs with Ben Grant backstage. Uh, and that's about it. That's like, oh, it was it was so boring and horrible. And uh, that's when like uh, Ernie was directing the what was his last name? Shaheen. Right. Is he serving time right now? I don't know. He never <laughs> liked me. He I tried heard. to get me kicked out. He remember when he tried to he tried to he spearheaded the campaign to get me kicked out at NYU because I I did a pilot the first year. Because you did uh, not, uh, a I'm pilot, home, right? Is that yeah. it? Yeah, and you know they had that rule where you're not supposed to work your first year. And my first month I got cast in the pilot and I had to leave for 10 days to go shoot it. And um, he spearheaded this whole campaign to try to get me kicked out. And Pat Mullen, remember Pat, the voice teacher? Oh yeah. I loved Pat. I loved Pat. And she stood up for me and said, um, and she had a lot of, a lot of clout and a lot of tenure. And she stood up and said, um, if you could, if you kick Julie out, I'm going to quit. God damn. So, 
That's great. But then I had to have I had to have a meeting with Ernie to come back for a uh, second semester. I had to meet with him at a diner somewhere. Ew, I, this is so gross sounding it was, already. It was so gross. And um, and this is awful. He he looked at me and said, you're not ready to work professionally. And I said, yes, I am, because I'm young and nobody's expecting anything of me. And then I said, what's your excuse? <laughs> I was a brat. <laughs> I, was, but I was so mad because I was like, I'm paying tuition. You know, I had to take a D. My, I had to agree to taking a D for the first semester for studio um, because I broke the rules. But I was like, never to this day has anyone ever asked me my grade point average for a role. So I was like, I'll take the D. I don't care. Um, and yeah, he made such a big deal out of it. And it shouldn't have been because I was working before I went to college. Like, it wasn't like, well, you and know, also, I had done little things here and there. I was already like out in the professional world, and it was. But thank, thank God for Pat. Pat was the one who, who kept me there. Uh, yeah, Pat was great. I that rule I always thought was stupid. Um, yeah, that freshman year you can't work. You can't do any acting outside of class. To me, that was weird and culty, and I didn't like that. So I, you know, I, I was doing stand up comedy the whole time my whole freshman year just because I wanted to get on an actual stage in front of actual people. And uh, I'm no, nobody stand up comic, but that was a place I could do it and get away with it. But you were getting paid yeah. and Ernie was jealous. Was mad. <laughs> Cause it's not like, but I also, it's not like oh, the I teachers say, I also, got in trouble if they booked a job because Jackie would book jobs all the time. Jackie oh. Brooks, the great Jackie. Yes, Brooks. All the time. And, and she would be gone for two weeks and she didn't get fired. She was a working actress. And so we'd all be excited to pick her brain about it when she got back. Uh, Ernie yeah. was a dick. It, was, it made no sense. And it made it incredibly awkward for me. Because then, then the show got, the series got picked up. So I missed the first semester of sophomore year. And then I came in in the second half. And at that point, I had missed a lot of stuff that, like, and and Terry, remember Terry? Oh, Terry Tundra, yeah. <laughs> like, the teacher, the she was terrifying. Tough cookie. Tough cookie. <laughs> she was so terrifying. Um, she was, and I don't. She was, I was like super grumpy Yoda as an acting teacher. <laughs> she was. She terrified me, and she. I remember she called me a professional child. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And that um, she kept, she related me to, you know, they always tell that story about baby June and how baby June grew up performing and how like she could never really act because she, all she knew to do was perform. And that's what Terry kept relating me to. And I was just like, I did, I did one sitcom. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> and I wasn't three when I did it. Like, I don't know. I don't really see how you're relating this. Um, I was 18, you know. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yeah, she scared me. <laughs> she I don't. I only. I, I. I never got. I. I think I only got up in class one time with her. Like I never. I don't remember getting up in class with her very often because I was afraid of her. Yeah, I did a lot, uh, mostly because I was always amused uh, at her uh, grumpiness. Like. <laughs> like watching her be grumpy with people and r rather rude and insulting in a lot of cases 
made me want to get up and see, well, what are you, what are you going to do to me? Gonna, yeah. I'll, I'll take a turn. Why not? You know, it's like a roast. It's like going on a roast. That's what I, yeah. so I do my dumb private moment and then go, okay, roast it lady. Here we go. <laughs> because that, that was, did you, that you did that. You must've done that in Terry's class. It was all about the private moment. You remember the that? Private moment. I think, I, I think when the day I got up to do the private moment, she just lectured me, like didn't let me do the actual exercise and just lectured me about being a professional child. And I was like, I don't really understand how to apply this to acting. At that point I was taking acting classes outside of NYU because I felt like, um, a lot of these, a lot of the classes weren't really translating for me and how to apply it to actual work. So I was like, sure. I don't, I'm doing this for a degree, but I don't necessarily know what I'm doing. Like, do you remember our movement classes and flocking like birds? And like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like, I don't really if, know what this is. If my, if my father had ever set foot in one of those fucking movement classes, he would have pulled me out of the <laughs> canceled checks, get the this is ridiculous yeah uh yeah those were uh insane it was i excelled i excelled in the movement classes and i even interned my last semester i was the intern for jonah for the movement class at circle for the incoming freshmen oh wow they actually like thought i could go and continue they offered me a job if i wanted to continue after graduation um but i was like no thank you yeah yeah (laughs) And good for you because they closed like a year after we graduated. Oh, they did. Circle and Square, yeah, they went. They went because that by the time we graduated, the theater, the Broadway theater itself, was already dark. Already, yeah. Because it was broke, and the school remained open, but only for about a year after before they folded. Oh wow! Because, because I didn't know it was that, that. Because of that, I did two shows on their Broadway stage. We just, you did? we had to bring our own lights. You couldn't use the, oh. the lights because of union rules. But yeah, we basically used house lights and a couple other lights and just did shows on Broadway, which was hilarious because we go to the TKTS stand and hand out flyers for our show and say, it's a Broadway show for free, which is total bullshit. People were, some people got real mad when they showed up and it was just a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's true. It was on a Broadway stage. So, you know. It did you did you do the whole Lori Peters thing, the Meisner stuff, all mm-hmm. of that, like the rest of us did? Did you do? Were you in that play we were trying to do that we never got past improvising on? <laughs> Maybe I the what the two shows that I did on that Broadway stage were with Lori Peters. She was touring. oh they were okay. Yeah. It was the we did Rumors by Neil Simon and the Miracle Worker. Uh, uh, which uh, was like with pure Meisner, the miracle worker descends into horrid torture for your audience. It's not, it's there's too much moment to moment work happening. You gotta, you gotta rein it in. You gotta rein it in and and use the script. I I was doing one. I remember it was with Chris Chris Pagula and, and uh um was it John Beatty. We were and we were all rehearsing in like a basement of a church, and we never and we were like a week away from opening, and we still had not said one line of dialogue. And I think Chris <laughs> and John like pulled the plug on it. They were like, "We're not doing this" because it was their show, and like, and it was. 
And it was literally like, we can't do, like, you can't do this. <laughs> this is not a rehearsal process. Like we have no, um, n- we have no structure. We've not said one line of dialogue. Right, right. So, and I was relieved at that point. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't even know my lines because <laughs> we haven't even said them. Yeah. I- <laughs> I was a little bit uh, nervous when we did rumors because you can't, you can't moment to moment ad lib your way through that Neil yeah. Simon play because it's total farce. So you you have to just do it as written. Um, and when we did that, the style of the piece like took over. So you know our moment to moment work was part of the rehearsal process but not part of the final project. But the Miracle Worker was a different scenario. It got a little bit more um, indulgent. Let's say indulgent. (laughs) (laughs) Fun times at NYU. (laughs) But I I did a lot of classes with Lori outside of NYU. Uh, it's yeah, I, I took her classes. That's how I wound up involved in those shows. And I'm the one who talked Colin, the guy who ran Circle in the Square, into letting us use the the stage for free. I was like, oh, nice. nobody else is using it. And he's like, well, as long as you're not violating any union rules, it's fine with me. Yeah, Colin was always really cool. Um, I, I took a lot of classes with Lori outside of NYU. And then once we graduated, I continued studying with Tony Greco for a couple, like many years. Oh, sure. Yeah, years. yeah. I continued with him. Um, a he lot, had a a lot of people did. He was a poacher. He poached people and brought them he into did. his uh, private acting call. I liked him. Uh, yeah, I, I adore was very smart, him. But he was, that's what he yeah. was doing. He was poaching people for his, for his, for his acting call. Yeah, because I took, I had him in studio, and then I was also taking his classes outside of studio as well, and I was doing Lori's classes as well, and their their methods are opposing of each other. Oh yeah, but at, time. yeah. at least with Tony, you actually eventually got to the text and said the lines and like did a, did could do a scene. Like Lori, just never for me. It just never. I I, I never. Yeah, she know. was obsessed with it being organic. I guess the stuff when I was taking with Tony, the the stuff that I found confusing, I think I finally got there, but I think I only got there out of, you know, instinct kicking in at a certain point of understanding, if that makes sense. But Mm -hmm. it was making the leap from the moment to moment work to the final, uh, like scene in Tony's, uh, technique that, that there was like a gap that was missing for me that I had a hard time finding. Um, and, and I think that all acting teachers have, at least those acting teachers, they all had in certain cases, a lack of practicality, which confused me. And, and it was, it was something I had right. to get over coming out of NYU a little bit it was like, Oh yeah, that was just college. Now I can go like sort of a lot of the stuff they told me never to do again was was the first thing that came out of my toolkit when I was on sets professionally for the first time and they wanted me to do something some way. And then I was right. like, well, the thing they want me to do is the thing that NYU told me never to do, but they're telling me to and they're paying me to. So yeah, I'm going to do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out it works fine. Yeah, it's just like- It works, it works. NYU was off base about that. 
off base. <laughs> yeah, I will say, like, it, it taught me how I wanted to study. Like, I knew Tony's class made so much more sense to me than Lori's class. And even though Lori was a sweet, wonderful, kind human being, and, and Tony can be very intimidating and, you know, he scary um what he was teaching his knowledge was stuff that i could actually take and then apply it to my actual work on set and didn't feel like i was being fraudulent or selling out whereas Lori always made me feel like i was selling out like <laughs> she would, every time i would get cast in like something she would get like ugh, disappointed and like <laughs> yeah. and you that know and it was and it was like okay well i don't want to starve <laughs> Yeah, not becoming an actor because I want to starve. I know I might starve, but that's not the goal. The goal is to actually act and get paid and, you know, create and do all that. So she was living the starving artist's life and that was her and, you know. Well, I mean, and I think in a lot of ways, that's probably why Ernie was uh, vigilant about or, you know, I don't know, fascistic really about, about your uh, quote unquote, breaking the rules I know. Is because he never had the opportunity to break the rules, you know, and uh, uh, in that way. Uh, and, and he's a teacher, so he's the yeah. authority figure, but then somebody's more successful than him professionally. It's, yeah. it, it's gotta be hard on the ego. Ernie, Ernie was a, was a problem child. I had my problems with him in class you know i i i got in a fight with him at the end of one semester because you know he like he he would do these new agey therapy things that to me didn't have anything to do with acting i was like i don't know why i need to know everybody's fucking feelings and about their like family history in order to act maybe they need to know it so they can draw from it but we don't need to like we don't need no, to put the subtext out. You know what I mean? We don't, the yeah, private I, shit. And, and we were all in really, a... He ahead. really crossed some lines, I think, in that regard. I remember I stood up, because remember, yet it was, all, it was in a circle or something. I don't know. You had to like... This is exactly what had, I was... Yeah, that's exactly... You had to confess something and yeah. like some deep, dark secret. And I remember I was like... I don't have any deep, dark secrets. So I made up this whole story about how when I was a little girl, how I cut the neighbor's roses to give to my mother. And then my mother got mad at me and the neighbor got, because they were her prize winning rose. I did the it's a total fake story. I made up and I'm <laughs> crying and, like, and he's like, you made a breakthrough. And I was like, I lied. this is true but I you know because I everybody had these horrible like people were sharing things that that he like they weren't because there was no support after you know what I mean there was no like mental support so people were sharing like real personal stuff without having like you know a therapist on staff to kind of help you deal with it and 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 it just felt so wrong and and I just so I made up this whole thing and he <laughs> thought it was brilliant and I never told him I, I lied the whole time <laughs> that's acting though that's, that's acting. acting that is <laughs> acting oh, that's awesome uh I love that we were in different we we were the same year but we were in different groups right within the studio I I think what uh I think third year we were in the same we were in the same group by third oh, okay. year. I think yeah. first year, I don't think we were, I don't think we were in the same group first year. 
because the, the, the classes got it smaller and smaller. So we wound up in the classes, the yeah. entire class size was smaller the third by the third year. So, yeah. yeah. So I think we were together third year and then you lived across the hall from me um, at sophomore. third Avenue. Yeah. So that was sophomore year. Yeah. That was the year I worked at Ben and Jerry's and I brought home ice cream every night. Oh yes, yes, that's yes, that's excellent. And I can never I don't eat ice cream anymore after that. <laughs> I ate way too much ice cream. It was <laughs> my brother-in-law worked at a Baskin and Robbins and got he like got sick of ice cream. He was I don't yeah. I I didn't think that was possible, but I got so sick of it. I was yeah, in I, a, I was I, in I hated it. I, I was hate in, ice cream now. You no, I, still you didn't get over it? Yeah, that? I don't eat it. Mm-mm. I was that way for with apples for the longest time because I worked at an apple orchard. It was like my first <laughs> job and I'm so sick of apples, but now I can eat apples again. Yeah. No, I'm not an ice cream girl. Mm-mm. Ice cream's bad for you anyway. So you're probably, you're probably better off. <laughs> probably better off. <laughs> I feel bad. Speaking of ice cream, I feel bad. Like, cause my Ernie story, like we were in that circle, all holding hands, sharing, you know, secrets which i don't know how what that has to do with acting but that's what we were all doing and to me it was just an absurd exercise to begin with but this one uh, classmate of mine she's like and she's full-on crying when she says this she's like i i feel fat is what she said um and she wasn't like even she was skinny she obviously had body dysmorphia or whatever um, and then literally everyone in the circle uh, and all the, all the women in the circle all started crying because they all felt fat. And Ernie had said at the beginning of, of this thing, like whatever you feel inside is okay. Don't hold any feelings inside. Right. So it was just absurd to me that everybody who wasn't fat, was crying all everybody was crying because they were fat and they weren't fat and i looked at my friend one of the guys who wasn't crying because we were just sort of looking at the floor like this is uncomfortable it's an entire room full of women crying because they're fat we don't think they're fat and we sort of like looked at each other and caught each other's eye and just started giggling hilarious hysterically and because it was just funny it was absurd and ernie got so mad at me and he kicked me out of class and then after class, because I was waiting for, I didn't leave because we had another class across the hall and I just sat in the hall. I was like, fuck it. If I'm not, and he came out and he apologized. And I was like, yeah, well, you're apologizing now after you humiliated me in front of the whole class yeah. for being and emotionally then- honest in the moment, which is what you told me to do. And when you think about it, Ernie, it's pretty funny that all of the women in this class, it's, I realize in retrospect, it's a horrible indictment of society and, and the way yeah. women view themselves, it, it's it's uh, because of men, <laughs> I realize now. But at the time, it was just hilarious that all these not fat people were crying because they were fat. And, <laughs> and you got mad at me for having a genuine emotional reaction. And now you're apologizing to me in the hallway and not in front of everybody. It's spineless. Not in front of everyone. Yeah. I called him spineless. Yeah. I called my teacher spineless my freshman year of college. That's the kind of person. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. I think that's good. I mean, listen, teachers aren't perfect. No. Um, and especially acting teachers. And and I'm just going to say this to anybody listening out there. If you are in an acting class and you feel uncomfortable, 
because of something, maybe you feel a teacher has crossed a line or, or said something to make you uncomfortable, you can go find another class. There are other classes out there that yeah. fit better for you. And I think that was kind of what I learned at NYU. It was like, oh, I don't want a teacher like that. And oh, I don't want a teacher like that either. And oh, I don't want a teacher like that either. Like there's no, there's no set way to become an actor. It's just, yeah, and because cause there's no teacher who has the magic bullet. There's no teacher yeah, yeah. who can tell you how to walk out of his classroom and book jobs. It it yeah. it's, it's such a crapshoot. Sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're really talented and nobody likes the way you look. You know, whatever it is, it it's a crapshoot. Yeah. So the only thing you can do is act if 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 you really need to. But no teacher is no teacher can make you successful it's ridiculous yeah and i don't i don't like the teachers that bully students the acting there is a you know ernie is was a bit of an emotional bully yeah and it can be very triggering and and cause a lot of damage to your psyche as a young person if you have a teacher like that is how i feel yeah i agree <laughs> I liked the more practical teachers. I mean, we, we mentioned yeah. Pat Mullen, who was a voice teacher who, and she, her entire approach was practical for me. Like it all, everything she said made sense, even though if it sounded weird, you know, opening up your uh, uh, sinus your resonators ass. or whatever. Breathe from your ass. That might breathe from my ass. <laughs> but, no, but like you taught real practical work on how to open up your voice and 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 fill a fill a theater with your voice and 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 just. I liked in a lot of relaxation techniques that she taught. I still do to this day. It's like you know. So, and then there was um, uh, John Sperry, the- Oh yeah, who did, yeah, sure, John Sperry. Dialects, he was great, except I'm really bad at dialects. So I was really a bad student in his class, but I loved his class because it was, once again, you're learning like accents and like learning, you know, technical stuff that like you need to learn. I felt like we didn't have enough of that. We had way too much of this like feelings, emotions and like, all of that and not enough of the actual technical aspects of what we do. As I, actors. I agree. I feel like if, if uh, with John, if we'd had like a full three years instead of just two semesters or whatever it was, yeah. it might've been it, it, to get into the science of picking apart a dialect might've helped me figure out how to do them. Cause I suck at them too. Um, yeah. And it wasn't enough just to have the tricks of, you know, you find your phrase, you know, Irish character, can you spar a character or whatever it is? You know, it's it's like that wasn't enough. I, I for me, it's like I, when I delve into it, I have to phonetically do every syllable and kind of memorize it that way. And I, who has time to do that? You don't have time. They hire yeah. you, and you have to be on set in a week. You can't memorize a whole dialect that way. So I did it. it uh, I did it for uh, Boondock Saints too. I had to do a very specific Southern accent. And um, I worked with, I hired a dialect coach. So I would Skype with him every night because we were filming in Toronto. And I would type out my sides every night phonetically. So they would be there the next day on set. And it wasn't, I, I don't remember the phonetic alphabet at all. It was just, was like what made sense to me in my mm -hmm. brain, how think words would be spelled out. And it really helped. I mean, it was a lot of work. Like I was working my ass off on that film, but it, um, it was the only way I could do it because the, 
the the dialect was so specific that it seemed like Troy Duffy was the only one, the director and writer was the only one who understood what the dialect actually was. <laughs> so, right. and he would, he would stop me in the middle of a scene, middle of a take and be like, you didn't say that word right. Go back and say it again. And I'd be like, can we fix this in post? <laughs> I need some flow here. I need a little bit of flow. But he was such a stickler and it really, um, it really worked for me. Like it really, uh, it really felt like I rose to the occasion and I was able to do it because he was so tough on me. But I also had a dialect coach, you know, on speed dial and I was typing everything out phonetically. It was, I, you know, I don't know if I could do that on a series. You know what I mean? The yeah, I don't know how you would. I mean, even yeah. like anything fast moving enough, I don't know how you would get it done in time. I mean, like this yeah. was a, how much time did you have to prepare? before shooting started two weeks i auditioned with a southern accent. that's not enough yeah. time to do something like no, that. i auditioned with a southern accent but it was just a very general southern and then then he sent me recordings of how he wanted it to sound and then that's when i hired a dialect coach at that point because i was like so i had two weeks every day in la with my dialect coach and then went up to toronto and at the i was working on dexter at the same time so i was going back and forth in the beginning, which also gets your brain all confused because yeah. there I was on Dexter, all of a sudden Rita had a Southern accent. I was like, oh shoot, no, <laughs> can't do that. Um, but what, like for me working on that movie, I had to literally speak with a Southern accent every time I spoke, like 24 seven. So I would call my boyfriend, who's my husband now, I would call him from, Toronto to talk to him and I'd be talking in a southern accent he'd be like who is this <laughs> so you but, did, were you keeping it unconsciously or were you keeping it like because some people that's their method they stay in the like in between takes and all that stuff yeah I it was definitely um I had to do it that way. I there was I had no other choice at that point because it was such a specific accent that I was so afraid that if I fell out of it, I would lose it. Uh -huh. Um so I just had to stay in it literally 24/7. Like if I met somebody on the street, you know, and they talking to somebody, they'd be like, "Where are you from?" and I'd be like, "Pittsburgh." And they're like, "What's up with the Georgia accent?" It's like, "Oh, I'm working on a role. <laughs> I have to talk like this." Right. So, uh so yeah, it was a little bananas. And then I did another movie when I did Punisher Warzone. Um, I auditioned for that with just my regular voice. And I show up like two days before filming and they're like, we want you to have a Jersey accent. And I was like, what? Oh, wow. And um, and that I had never done an accent before ever because that was bef Punisher was before I did Boondocks. And um, that's where I met my dialect coach, because he was on that movie and everybody in that movie had a different accent because we also had a lot of British actors who were doing different accents and everybody had a different approach. And for me, because it was so, I, literally, it was like cramming, like this learning how to do a Jersey accent. Um, 
I just had to stay in it 24 seven. And then like, I had to ask like, you know, cause Dominic West in that movie, like we'd be talking in between scenes and he'd, he'd slip back into his British accent. And I'd be like, Oh no, 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 don't do that. Cause I'm going to pick up the British accent now. <laughs> now I don't remember how to say words. <laughs> like, you have to talk with your New York, your Jersey accent too. Like, don't do this. And same with like Ray Stevenson. I'm like, no, don't talk. No, no you've got to stay in character. God damn it. <laughs> with the accent. Cause I can't like, cause I was shocked and I was pan. I literally was panicking over it. So now I'm much more comfortable after those two experiences and knowing that I used this uh, great dialect coach, Bob Koff. He's here in LA. And um, I know I always have him in my back pocket if I need him for something. And uh, he breaks it down so I can really understand how to do it. Um, and it helps so much, but, uh, but yeah, it's terrifying. I wish we, but had we had more training at NYU, I wouldn't have been so terrified. But we just didn't have that. Yeah, we didn't have it. Yeah, there was not a lot of uh, good. Well, also just sort of the business aspect and the psychological aspect of of being a professional actor. Those things should have been dealt with at some level in in our course curriculum at NYU. And they're really not. I mean, I, I do regret not going to it was but it was just a semester that TV and film uh you know, course, yeah. it was like fourth year you could take that. I wish I had taken it. Um, I mean, now I'm, I'm sure I know more than they would teach at that thing. Um, but uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of stuff that I, I walked away with that I really employ all that much in uh, yeah. <laughs> real, real actual work. It's not what was uh, what was Lexi Alexander like on the uh, uh, oh. Punisher Warzone. I, I follow her on Twitter. I'm a big fan of hers. So I'm just curious, you know, and I love Punisher Warzone. It's it's a great movie. But I, I you know, I've gushed about you're in a lot of my genre, you know. So, you know, I don't like with with friends and you know, people I know, I, I don't necessarily I'm not gonna watch everything everybody's in, but mm-hmm. sometimes people march across my screen because they're in my genre and you work in my genre of choice that I like to watch. I'm not in enough of my own genre. So I see you in all these horror movies and, and action movies that I like, which is, which is cool. Um, yeah. Lexi is amazing. I mean, she's a badass. She's a total badass. Uh, she, I enjoyed working with her a lot. She's, she's absolutely wonderful on set. Um, she knows her shit. Um, the action sequences in that movie are incredible. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, and I would love to work with her again. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know what, how, what she's directed since. She did like most of the stuff that she does is like TV. She, you know, she does TV episodes. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, it's, she got kind of unfairly, uh, treated as a result of that movie not doing well, but I just think it was maybe not appreciated uh, at the time, like what Punisher movie has at this point. But yeah, it, it was, I will say, because that was the year I did Punisher Warzone, Saw 5, and Rambo 4. Oh, yeah, you were in all the goriest movies of the year. <laughs> the three most violent movies of that year. And um, <laughs> I will say, uh, I never saw Saw 
five. I, I, I always, I forget the numbers too, by the way, because five, yeah. I have like number dyslexia. <laughs> so yeah, I, I never watched Saw Five because uh, the movie itself being, in, the reason why I took the movie in the first place was um, two reasons. One, one of the original producers, Greg, um, he had produced George of the Jungle 2 that I'm in. And that was done many, many, many years ago. And we were filming that in Australia. And Greg and I would like go for like walks and talk all the time. And he told me about the script he had, this low budget horror script. And it was called Saw. And that was his next film that he was going to go shoot after George of the Jungle 2. And he was like, I don't know if it's going to, I don't know. He's like, it's really gory. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's going to find an audience. And so it turned into this big franchise. Well, Greg ended up passing away a couple years after that. He had a heart attack and died and he was still fairly young. Um, and so when they called to offer me Saw 5, I felt like it was Greg, like, you know, as an angel above going like, you wanted to be in my movie back then. Like, so I did it for that. I also did it because those movies terrified me beyond belief, like terrify me. That talking doll, I, I can't. So <laughs> I wanted to see if I could actually be in a movie that I'm terrified, that ter- like it psychologically, I think, damages me. I only watched the original Saw and it damaged me for many years. Um, so I wanted to see if I could actually be in a movie that I find so extremely terrifying and then maybe being on set would demystify the whole thing for me and then I could then watch the rest all the rest of the movies and I wouldn't uh-huh. be so scared right uh-huh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. didn't work that way made it worse I was so scared on set um the first scene the first trap where we're on these pulleys uh-huh Walking away from the wall, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to get the key, and there's like a saw behind our head. (laughs) First of all, the traps are so real, (laughs) and there was a real saw behind my head. It was there. Now they were being manipulated, and we had control over them. Um, But the pulleys were being manipulated by people in the back. But we also had the control. And right before we went to roll, I said to the director, "I was like." Oh my God, what if I don't get the key in time? What's going to happen? <laughs> and he's like, we'll cut. He's like, you said cut. Did you read the script? And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Right, okay. right, right. Because right. I started feeling like it was so real. And then um, I threw up on set. And when we went to film, putting the hand in the saw, and our, I'm showing a visual, of course. Nobody can see it, but we had to stick my hand in a saw and basically have my arm sliced up and then have like spaghetti arm, mm-hmm. we called it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the contraption they built, so you, we stuck our hand in this thing and then there were, you could hear the whirring of the saw, the noise of the saw, and then blood was shooting out, but nothing was happening to my hand, but it felt so real that I vomited. <laughs> I, I got so scared sure. and vomited. So, um, yeah, I and I couldn't watch. It's the one movie that I, I'm in that I actually never watched because I was like, I was terrified the whole time. I had nightmares. I, I was like, it was amazing to try and be a part of it, but one of the scariest things I've ever done. It actually terrified you. Well, well, that's it good. I mean, t- I would say that that's one of the hardest things to play 
in movies, uh, especially, is terror. So at least yeah, you, were just, in the, you were in the right place for the performance in the movie. Uh, I was. <laughs> so, I mean, good for you. It seems like, like, it sounds method. It sounds deeply method. Maybe so, I, I, <laughs> so method, it's like meta method. It's like meta method. No, it's just it's just pure fear. It's just pure fear. <laughs> it's, just it's, it's just fear. It's just those movies. I t- I'm telling you, the first original saw it really psychologically damaged me on some internal. Is it the tone of it's the tone of the torture and being fucked with? Do you think because, like you say, that year you're in Punisher Warzone and Rambo. Rambo's got to be one of the most gory movies ever made like including horror movies right <laughs> i know <laughs> i know that one was more fun that was that was a lot of fun <laughs> but didn't you break your ribs or something but you had more fun I did i got a broken rib uh doing a stunt so i like i discovered late in life that i actually like doing action movies. Had I known that when I was young, I would have pursued trying to be an action star. Now I'm a little too old at this point, but um, I really do love the physical challenge of doing stunts. Um, I'm not the best at it, but I'm, I don't have fear when it comes to stunt. I I had a deal with Stallone where I said, I'll do, I'll try every stunt once. I'll try it once. And then if I get too scared, my stunt, I had an amazing stunt double, Heidi Moneymaker, that's her name. And she was there on set, you know, ready to take over. And um, there was one stunt that she did because it was a big giant tumble down the hill, which she's a trained gymnast and I'm not. So I didn't do that one, but everything else was me. And, um, uh, and it was fun. It was like, I got really competitive with the rest of the guys in the cast like trying to see like who could do what and like not get hurt or even if you did get hurt, like not complain about it and be like, you know, and um, so it was this weird competition thing that kicked in and I did get, I got my ribs crushed in a scene with Stallone where he's supposed to jump on me to protect me. And I, I didn't get into the position, the braced position to take his weight and in the middle of the scene, he broke my rib. I still had to do the rest of the scene. <laughs> um, oh, God, yeah. And for a broken rib, there's really nothing you can do. Um, no, no. So I, was, I yeah. had to continue shooting and just thank God we were using rain machines. So you couldn't see the tears coming out of my oh, eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah. And then the pig, the scenes with the, the scene with the pigs was the, actually the scariest because the pigs, um, they, I was tied hand, my hands and feet were tied and the pigs weren't supposed to break through that fence. And they, one take, they did break through the fence and these oh, giant, God. and right before that, I was, I asked somebody on set, I said, what, what would happen if they broke through the fence? And the, the guy said, oh, well, they could eat your toes. <laughs> Cause they're, like they're hungry. Yeah. So I was like, what? <laughs> so when the pigs broke through the fence, I started like, I was screaming and crying and kicking and like kicking these giant pigs. And at one point, at one point I was told this happened off camera. uh, uh, They were going to rush in to grab me and make sure I was safe. And Stallone was like, keep the cameras rolling. This is awesome. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm being surrounded by these pigs and I'm flailing around. And and then when they pulled me out. It sounds like you felt safest in this year 
on the Punisher Warzone set. Yes. And that is, that is the one project of these three ultra What year was that? What year is it? <laughs> Last year. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it 2019. 2019's three it might have been a 2000, maybe 2007. Was it 2007, 2008? Yeah, 2000. I'm going to go with 08. I'm going with 08 for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm thinking 08 right now. But but whatever, three most violent movies of the year. You're in all three. You felt safest on the one that was being helmed by a woman. By a woman. That's what I'm saying. Good God. That's what I'm She's saying. She's amazing. Lexi is amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And uh, um, I do hope I get to work with her again somewhere down the line on something because um, she really... She, you know, sometimes you can work with, um, sometimes it's, it's tricky working with a female director um, because uh, very early on in my career, I worked with a female director and I had a hard time with her because it almost felt like, and I, and I get it because very like 30 some years ago, she had to overcompensate and be extra tough and be, you know, now you don't have to do that. But even like, 12 years ago. I mean, Lexi was rare. Um, and she didn't, she had, she has such an amazing, like commanding presence. And I think because, you know, she could probably kick your ass and kill you in like one, like, you know, one move. Um, (laughs) and she knows that too, that like, she doesn't have, she didn't have to like overcompensate if that makes any sense. Right, uh, right. She just has a very commanding presence, and then and everybody held her in like very high respect with what she was doing. So, and it is true if somebody if you know somebody is physically lethal, you're you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna be a douchey. But I mean, I would say and also all the men, all the men in that movie, because I was I think I was really the only female aside from the little girl. All the male actors, Ray Stevenson, Dominic West. Um, all the guys in that movie were absolutely amazing. Wonderful, wonderful men in that movie. Like kind, generous, not, not skeezy. Like everybody was really professional and <clears throat> there to do the work and there to do the best work and really um, supportive of Lexi as well. Like, um, so it was, a, it was a great experience. Yeah, it sounds like a great experience. I it, it's it's a fun movie. I really like. I it. lost you. Oh, did did I freeze? Oh, you froze. Are you there? I am here. I lost. Uh oh. Oh my goodness, Todd! I am so embarrassed. I had a little bit of some technical issues on my end, and I lost you there for a moment. But I was in you- a, a state of horrible panic. I was terrified. I thought I'd said something wrong. Uh, <laughs> About Lexi Alexander, Punisher Warzone, which is I would not want to do. No, uh, but thank you so much for being patient with my my uh, my lack of technical skills in this er- arena of podcasting. Well, it sounds like it's just uh, a Wi-Fi situation, which we all have. I mean, we all have to be prepared for that in these virtual situations. Hey, yes. this is totally unrelated, but you just made me think of it because you're having technical difficulties. Because um, I, I do a podcast with a friend like on the reg and, and and I was like, hey, do you want to do it this Friday? He's like, 
yeah, do you want to come over to do it in my garage? And I was like, no, because we used it before COVID. We did it at my house together, uh-huh. you know, and and I know things are opening up somewhat and all that stuff. But I was like, I don't want to go do this podcast in your garage quite yet. Yeah, I'm uh, right there with you. <laughs> and, and he was res- totally respectful of that. But he was also like, I think you've gone off the deep end a little bit. No. So, I mean, you've been pretty, you've been pretty strict. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, I just feel like, I don't know. I I feel, I mean, I did have to go car shopping this weekend. Yeah. Um, And we only went looking for at one car. We looked at one car specifically, but you know, we had to test drive it and we're in a car with some random guy and yeah, we're all masked up and whatever. And I'm hand sanitizing everything. But, you know, I got a little freaked out. I got a little scared. Um, well, and there are things that you have to do because I've had an electrician in my house. Uh-huh. I've had a plumber in my house. I had my a plumber do a job that had to be done in my house. Yeah, um, me too. You know, <laughs> I've had, I, 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 we had, because uh, we had a pipe burst in our house uh, back in July and we have to, it caused a lot of damage. And so we're actually now in a rental house. Um, but I remember when we met with the contractor, the first meeting, his mask kept sliding off of his nose. Oh yeah. That's a classic. And, All, and, everybody who's come to my house, who's a, per, like a person to work on something. Has, uh, yeah. I've had to go. Yeah. And I'm like, um, that's not working for me. You need to fix it. <laughs> fix yeah, it. Cause that doesn't work for me. Oh. You're in my house. <laughs> well, I think, I think in the instances that I, and I don't know for sure, but I think that the people who've had that situation and they put the mask up over their nose as soon as I say, like they're just wearing it all the time and it's slipping off their nose and they're not aware yeah. of it. I apologize for my dog barking right there. That's a uh, dog bear. He's got that's- an Instagram presence. Bear does have an Instagram presence. Uh, all my dogs do, but bear is definitely the most photographable one at this time. The other two have since retired from Instagram because they discovered I was exploiting them. Oh, they don't like that. They don't like it. Uh, (laughs) Bear doesn't realize she doesn't know what exploitation is yet. She's only a year. So she's still still poses and and performs and lets me take her picture. The other two run when they see the camera, they're like, no way. No, we did this for a long, long enough time. We retire. We're off your gram. They want their own gram, but they don't have thumbs to work. And there's no, uh, there's like no dog performers union really. Yeah. There are protections in place to protect animals, but they don't have a their own union and their own voice. They really don't. To protect from being exploited by their owners on social media. Yeah. yeah. That's me. That's who I am. Yeah. No, that, I mean, you know, during quarantine, it's been, um, first of all, I think I'm built for quarantine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you don't like people. You like to be away from well, I'm used to being alone, especially on location. Mm -hmm. So literally like the first four months, I just approached it like I was on location. I just happened to be on location in my house and never left. Yeah, Um, people don't realize how good at actors get at being alone all the time. Yeah. And I have structure to my day. I get up, I work out first thing. I, you know, then take a shower and then I 
do, if I have to do a social media post or something, I do that. I, I do some reading, I do some writing, you know, and then I got to, I got to feed everybody in the house. You know, it's like, uh, order the groceries, do the laundry, like, do all, so it's like, I feel like I have structure. Um, uh, I will say I, I had, I did have a meltdown a couple of weeks ago and I went to target. Oh God. The target. I did, but I went very early in the morning and I wore gloves and a mask and a face shield. And, um, it was just nice. I went early on a Sunday morning. There was literally nobody there. Um, but it was just nice kind of being out in the world for a minute. Um, yeah, I get that. I mean, I go, I do the grocery shopping, which means yeah, I don't do grocery. I do delivery. I haven't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Cause it's so expensive. I just, I can't, yeah. I can't afford it. So I, I drive out, I drive out of Simi Valley to Moore park because there's fewer people there. And right. I, I, and I always do it during the week and earlier in the day. It seems like the fewer people. Fewer people. Time. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, my husband's, my father-in-law, my husband's father is very ill and has a very compromised immune system. Mm -hmm. And so we help, we help in his care. Um, and it's just made us be very, very strict with any type of exposure. And because we don't have kids, we can be strict. Like we can right. be a lot stricter than my, the, the other brothers who have kids. And I just think with kids, you, it's just, it's, a different element. Like we're, it's, my husband and I, we're, do, yeah. yeah, we're, we're adults. Like we can, you know, right. we can her down and do this and, um, and we can get through it. We can power through it. And, but I think when you're, when you're dealing with kids, like they, they need a bit of socialization. They need like a pod of friends that they can. Sure. Associate but, well, with. I mean, I, I think that's true about grownups too. I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of what I'm, why I brought that up is I just, I feel bad telling my friend that I can't come over and hang out in his garage. Don't. Um, the garage probably at the same nice. time, I just feel like I can't. So it's, it's, it's like this push pull and everything's so weird right now because, you know, the messaging from basically all of our leaderships is so confusing and goes back and forth all the time. Um, and it, it's, I understand why people are like opening up and there's a lot of reasons that you have to open up and, and take more risks. But I just, I feel like so many people aren't acknowledging that that's what they're doing is yeah. it, it, it's a, it, like to call me crazy, you know, to say I'm losing it because I'm being overly, it's like making me feel like I'm Howie Mandel or some, somebody where I have like, like an OCD thing. And that's why I'm not going out or I have agoraphobia or something. Yeah. It's, not. it's like, now you're making me feel like that. And I'm like, no, 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 there's, there's a, a virus. It's a global pandemic and the numbers are not good anywhere. Yeah, I get, you know, because I do a lot of posting on social media about the importance of wearing a mask, because ultimately, if we adopted, if everybody would just commit to wearing a mask, we would be further along in the process of reopening. But because we have so many people who have politicized it hmm. and have made it a political thing when it's really just a safety thing, it's like wearing a seatbelt. Right. Um, it, 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 it's it, it's. It, it, it just slows it down. And I get so many people when I post about wearing a mask, be like, well, I'm not wearing one. And I'm like, well, I'm going to protect you from my germs. So why do you 
what, what is it about you that you don't want to protect me from your germs? Like, well, it's just it's, as simple as that. And, and it, it becomes, it's such a lack of empathy that we have today for other people. And it's just heartbreaking. Cause I'm like, if we all adopted wearing a mask and you just did it and we all just did it, we would be further along in the reopening process. Right. Like everybody's complaining about it and refusing to do it. And look at what happened like at the White House. I mean, look how look how that infection spread and no one had masks on. Mm-hmm. It shows you even outside, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I've been wearing a mask since before it was cool to wear a mask. Um, I started wearing them just to walk the dog in my neighborhood. And by the way, there's nobody in my neighborhood. Like I never see anybody. And I, my husband was like, don't be the first person in the neighborhood to wear a mask. And I was like, oh, you know, I am I had a mask <laughs> Good for you. in the visor. I was like rocking that style way before it was cool. <laughs> but um, you know, way before they were telling us to do it, because I, you you look at the uh, Asian countries like Japan and Vietnam, and where, where they it's normal to wear a mask if you're sick, or you know, what I mean, it's like during flu season in general, yeah. Yeah, they just do it. It's just part of the, it's a cultural thing. They also don't shake hands. Like we're a very germy culture. We, you know, we spread our germs over everybody. You look at the cultures that aren't as germy as us and they're, they're getting it under control. So I don't know. I think there's something to it. I <laughs> I think that's very, that's the black and white of it. Yes, I agree. And I think there are, I mean, I, I, I think our leadership has failed in so many levels. Like okay. the country had been properly closed and rents and mortgages had been forgiven and people had been given some kind of monthly stipend to stay inside for two months, we wouldn't have the problem that we're having now. Uh, and it wouldn't have cost us as much as it has. But I mean, that's coulda, woulda, shoulda stuff. So I guess it doesn't help. But uh, I just, for, I came of age in the 80s. I came of age, I became sexual during the AIDS yeah. epidemic. Me too. So I have that mode of thinking about social things, I think, in general, because of that. And and this, if if this was airborne AIDS, if that's what it was called, I guarantee you everybody would be wearing a fucking mask all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, but the nature of the disease is is hard to see. It's 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 hard to see its results. It doesn't even act like an Ebola. Like somebody gets Ebola, that's it. They like bleed out from all their orifices and they're just covered in pus and horror. It's a horror show. Um, if that was happening to people who got COVID, people would be a little bit, I think, uh, a more cautious. But it's not. It's it's a little bit too much of a silent killer. Um, it's really sad too, and I, you know the president comes out and says like, don't let it get to you. And 200,000 people have lost their lives in our country. It's like, yeah. And the only reason it hasn't gotten to him yet uh, on that level is because he's got better care than anybody in the country. Yeah. And And you look at the countries that have socialized medicine, they have a better control over, over, the virus than those of us that um, than the United States where we don't have socialized medicine. And it breaks my heart that like people, people don't understand the benefits of socialized medicine. At the time of this recording, yes, the president is still alive. And if he's alive because of treatment that all that treatment that he got just him 
was socialized. It's socialized medicine because we're paying for it. I'm right. paying for it because I pay taxes. You're paying for it because you pay taxes. Anyone who pays taxes in this country is paying for him to get well. That's socialized fucking medicine. So why is why does he get it? And the we don't. Of us don't, yeah. And and what with, you know, I mean, this is a little off topic, but with SAG doing with our healthcare plan in the oh. middle of COVID, like <laughs> it's just it's um shocking. I yeah, I understand the plan was in trouble, but it's but kind the timing of timing is to it, do it. If you if they were really existing paycheck to paycheck, which is basically what they were saying they were doing. And counting on uh, outsiders' money all this time with no reserves, no backup, living paycheck to paycheck like that on handouts, that's just incompetence in leadership. For I mean, and I know I'm just an armchair guy. I don't know, but I pay my dues, so I guess I get to say whatever the hell I want. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, and it seems like incompetence. It seems like gross incompetence. At best. Our dues keeps going up, and we have to pay. We also pay for our health insurance too. Like, it's like, I, so I don't. I just, it was shocking to me that they did that. That they're doing that to us. Um, it's because they don't charge. It's it's. They have a cap on. They have a cap. So the gazillionaire movie stars who also, by the way, siphon from the working class actors salaries all the time. I mean, they they, they find new ways to pay us less money when you're on a guest star level or a a bit player level under five level. They find ways to pay you less to do that works so they can give gazillionaires more money. And then the union doesn't take a a proper chunk out of their salaries that they don't need. Their lives are not going to change if they pay more dues. Yeah. I mean, even if it was just raised like 5% or whatever, like that would bring in so much more money. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's really stressful, this whole situation. I mean, I haven't worked at all. Now I had a, I had a dry spell before going into COVID. So. Yeah, I know. I, this is what I've been saying all like 2019 was a the worst year for me as yeah. far as booking work that paid me enough to get by and going into this year has been a, a real tailspin of things. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just uh, bizarre. Yeah. It's and uh, I realized, I think I, I realized yesterday I said to my husband, I'm like, I haven't, I haven't, it's the first time I ever haven't worked in one full year. Yeah. And, you know, seven of those months are because of COVID, but it's like the first time where in my whole career, where like for a whole year has gone by and I haven't been on one set. Yeah. And uh, it really, it shocked me. It was very scary <laughs> to think that. Now I'm lucky, you know, my husband's not in the business he uh, still is working and has his salary and his job. And like, so I'm very thankful for that. But just the idea as an actor that for the first time um, I haven't worked in one year. I mean, I've always had something. I've always done something. Yeah. On my worst years, I've booked something. Yeah. You booked something. That this paid book. something. Maybe not very much, but it, it was something. something. Yeah. And now it's like, I don't know. And, you know, and I'm thankful for residuals. I mean, residuals are great as an actor. Um, but it's it's just shocking that I haven't been on a set in a year. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I, I just... Um, <laughs> I now, I mean, you know, the business is trying to reopen, which is great. Um, 
but there every audition I have, I'm like, I want it because I want to work, but this the I'm, yeah, I'm scared. The same, like same I'm space. scared of leaving home. Uh, I'm scared of of being exposed. I'm scared of of if I'm at working in LA of exposing my family members. I'm you know. So it's kind of like you go like, I want the job. I really want it. It would be great if I got it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm scared. So um, I'm hoping, you know, hopefully there'll be a vaccine sometime. (laughs) I mean, I think realistically not. (laughs) That will be safe. That's not going to make you like grow a horn. (laughs) Well, from what I hear, the like vaccines, legitimate ones, not the political magical ones uh probably in the spring yeah pretty hopeful that i mean and that's hopeful and good um but it's still a long time away to not be working yeah and and it's um and that kind of like i'll be honest i woke up this morning feeling a little like bummed out about everything just because i was like wow we've been doing this for so long we're gonna have to do it longer like it's like, uh, yeah. can I, can I get through this? Can I power through? Can I, me- can I stay mentally healthy? For me, it's about staying mentally healthy, which is why I work out every morning for my mental health. I'm, you know, I'm not crushing it physically at all because, you know, I stress eat potato chips. Um, <laughs> potato chips are really good. They're, they're amazing. They're, they're and, I, yes. and I have just caved into my, my, kryptonite basically and just eat chips nonstop. So well, you're lucky you don't I like ice cream because that's what I, I, know, I like that's what cream. I like. I'm I'm not having dessert tonight. I'm not having dessert tonight. I'm not oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh caribou caramel. That's looks good. <laughs> I always say I'm not gonna have chips and then like I notice a bag in the pantry and I'm like, oh well, it's four o'clock. It's chip hour. Why wouldn't I have potato yeah, chips? I'm good about not having too many chips in my house because I will eat them. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not. I cuz I str- I got scared at the beginning of quarantine. Remember when food was kind of scarce? Yeah, and you, you hoarded yes, you hoarded <laughs> And then I ran out of chips and then I couldn't get them. So then I made my own, which You made your own chips? I did. I just sliced the potatoes really really thin on a mandolin and then I baked them in the oven. But the problem is is it looked like I made a lot and then they came out and like I ate them all like in 3 minutes and I was like Were they, cri- I need were they another crispy? Potato. Were they, super- they were very very crispy. So they got they like they like shrunk like those toys you'd get put them in the yes. oven and they would shrink. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. And so then I was taking another potato, <laughs> and um, and uh, and then I all my friends know how much I'm a chip addict, and so then people started dropping off bags of potato chips at my house. Oh, that's messed up. I was like, I don't think I'm going to survive. Your friends are being passive aggressive. That's <laughs> they want to get you potato chip fat. <laughs> but uh, but it's like I work out in the mornings just everybody thinks I'm like trying to make fitness gains and I'm really not. It's just, it's just for my mental health, just to move my body. Otherwise I would just be a slug on the couch the whole time. And, and, and I, that would cause me, that would up my anxiety and, um, and, you know, depression about this whole thing. So at least I, I, I get addicted to the, hor- the endorphins of working out. So that helps kind of sure helps the day go by. Um, yeah. I go I go on bike rides. Well, I haven't the last yeah. couple of days. I've got it mounted on a trainer. 
which <laughs> I'm like biking in my living room. But when the air quality is not horrid, uh, like it has been lately, I bike ride. And that has kept me sane because I have the ability to go places where there's nobody. So I don't have to worry about well, yeah. masking up. I keep a mask with me in case I wind up in a crowded area. But just getting out and being outside and yeah. on a bike and going somewhere. And I've been everywhere in Simi Valley at this point this year on my bike. So now it's like, I am the cheese. I'm just doing the same routes every day and trying to make a new adventure out of it. But it is keeping me sane, just getting out of the house. Yeah. I mean, I, I do go for long walks with the dog and I do feel I have explored every single street in my neighborhood a thousand times at this point. Um, and uh, I try to find different things to look at when I'm walking like, oh, I didn't notice that flower before or, oh, what's that? It's really hard to keep yourself um, mentally stimulated when you've done the same yeah. patterns. Um, I have been known to drive to different neighborhoods and, and just walk around a different neighborhood just to see something different. Uh, but then I get scared when I see people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, people. Oh, oh, yeah, people. Oh, there's too many people. I get it. <laughs> My wife and son have both had stress dreams where this it hasn't happened to me yet, but they both had stress dreams where they're somewhere having a good time with a group of people and then realize that they don't have a mask on. Nobody has a mask on and they freak out in the dream. Wow. Or in my son's case, he'll be somewhere. And then Hillary and I'll show up and be like, Colby, why are you wearing a mask? Why are you hanging out with all these people with no masks? And in his dream. Wow. Freaks out. Yeah. I've had dreams of, um, of traveling. And I think it's because I travel a lot and this is like the first, I mean, it's been, been a year since I've been on a plane. And so I ha I've been having, I have crazy dreams. Like I had one where I was in Russia and I was trying to leave the country and they took all my bags and my computer. And I had to, it was like a movie. It was like, <laughs> and I had to like fight them to get my stuff back so I could leave the country with all my stuff. Stuff and I was like so stressed and I woke up screaming and, and I just think being like in one place like most of my dreams are about traveling I'm like my, my dreams are all about being in some weird exotic land and like then but something you, but it sounds like your dreams have this this progression of you're having the dream because you miss traveling but then yeah. in the dream the traveling becomes stressful yeah which is that sounds very similar to what my family is yeah. experiencing like you're you're having an escapist dream yes because when you said that like you traveled all the time and now you're having traveling dreams that totally reminded me of quitting smoking where after i quit smoking all i dreamt about was smoking, smoking. <laughs> uh but then in the smoking dreams that i had it didn't turn into me going oh no why am i smoking in the dream i would just keep smoking because it was awesome uh, but in your dreams, the thing that was awesome, it's like if I had a smoking dream and then, you know, my face caught on fire. Or yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's where I'm at <laughs> emotionally now. It's nice being, I mean, we do, re, you know, because we're in a rental house now, we did have like a change of scenery. Um, so it's, uh, I do feel a little surprisingly a little more relaxed in this house. Cause I feel like we're on vacation somewhere, but we're literally just right down the street from our house. <laughs> um, uh, so it's, it has created like a sense that I have traveled somewhere. Uh -huh. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's a, uh, I'm getting really good at not, at not 
going anywhere. Like I'm really <laughs> good at it. And, you know, the handful of times I do have to go somewhere, I, it is stressful. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's like we we've visited a couple people in different instances, you know, on a social level, like hanging out at the end of the driveway, you know, mm-hmm. or being in someone's backyard, always outside, yeah. always outside, always masks, unless we're really far apart, all that stuff. Uh, but like everything surrounding it is stressful. It's stressful. The awkward, the social awkwardness of it's like, you have to be explicit before you go visit any, anybody uh, yeah. what your parameters are and telling somebody your parameters like that always makes me feel deeply uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm coming over to your house to see you and I really, really want to see you, but you need to wear a mask and you need to stay this far away from me and you need to yeah. get this, you know, just, you feel like a jerk. Yeah. I had a couple girlfriends over last week. It was the first time I had seen anybody and um, we stayed outside, but you know, then they had wanted to come in and use the bathroom. And I was Mm -hmm. like, we have to put a mask on in the house and you can only use this one, the powder room down here. And there's a set of Clorox wipes in the bathroom. Wipe up after. Yeah. Wipe everything down after you leave. And the trash can is right by the door. It's a foot pedal trash can. So you don't have to touch anything and like throw it away. And it was very weird for me to have to like explain that, you know, it feels awkward. It feels like you're being a fascist dictator. Yeah. And then (laughs) it's why people have politicized it, I guess. And then normally I cook. I love to cook. I cook a lot for a lot of people all the time. And, um, oh, by the way, we have to talk about cooking. I, I do. I remember something really funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I cook. So, but when they had my girlfriends over, I mean, I ordered food in and it was paper plates, plastic utensils, like, you know what I mean? And it was, yeah. it was literally like, I, and it was very weird for me because normally people come to my house for my cooking. Speaking of cooking, do you remember that? awful meal I made for you guys when I when you it was like I was living in Brentwood Uh uh-huh and didn't you come to my apartment for dinner maybe what did you make I don't it was really bad it was before I knew how to cook and I thought I made something really amazing but it was I think it was like I did that I made the chicken in the microwave (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> I honestly don't remember it. I, it's, okay, good. Okay, yeah, good. it's not something. I remember it, and I remember it being awful. That was before I taught myself how, to, or I learned how to cook. I was a bad cook. I might have started my served my specialty at that time, which was like frozen peas and tomato sauce. I thought that was amazing. That sounds fine to me. I mean, it depends on how long ago it was, because you know, if it was the right time, I probably was just happy to have food. it was it was when it was it was before my first husband before your first husband so this is like way back like way back when we first yeah so first came out to la oh yeah it was like in the 90s you gave me a a a television that only got the upn with rabbit ears (laughs) and we kept it we kept it on a stack of cardboard boxes that's (laughs) That's the, like, so if you, if we came over and you made like peas with, with red yeah. sauce, yeah. it was like, and this is great. Microwave this chicken. Is <laughs> this is fine. This Those is fine. were the days. Yeah. We, you gave us two uh, plastic chairs that you had and a TV. 
Ah. And like Andy, my roommate and I, you know, Andy, Yeah. Uh, we just sat on those plastic chairs for so long watching the UPN. We were, oh. we became aficionados of homeboys from outer space. It was, <laughs> it was, a, it was a ridiculous time, but yeah, it was our only furniture with two chairs and your uh, crap and TV on top of a bunch of crap blocks. <laughs> <laughs> The, those were crazy. Where did where was your apartment when you guys first moved out? Uh, it was in Studio City. Uh, uh, I remember the address one two seven five one Moore Park. I don't feel bad saying that because it doesn't exist anymore. They oh. tore it down, put up something else, <laughs> a different address and everything. But yeah, it, that's that was our uh, shitty Valley apartment. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Which yeah. would be like so expensive now. So expensive that's, now. Yeah. It, it felt expensive then, but we managed to get by on, you know, minimum wage and or $8 an hour or whatever we were lucky enough to be making at that time. What were you, what were your jobs? Um, well, my jobs, cause I couldn't wait tables, which I learned in New York. I waited tables for three days and then quit. Cause I just don't have, I can't do that. It's not mm-hmm. a, I think you have to have a talent for that. And yeah. It, it's a kind of acting. It really is. I mean, you're creating a fake servile personality for people that you may not like at first glance and you have to stick with it. And I just, I just had a problem with it. So I was, my first job here was working at a sugar-free bakery and gift emporium in studio city. Uh, And I worked there for a while. And at the same time I was working under the table uh, for a casting director oh, nice. who, who, yeah, who I just knew. So I, I would go, I would do my minimum wage job and then go to her office for a couple hours and file headshots for her. And, uh, and in doing that, I got a couple of auditions, which was, which was cool. That's like that, that whole thing about Hollywood and who, you know, and connections yeah. and all that stuff, literally working in a gift shop and doing you know a couple hours of part-time work for somebody and all i would do is make fun of people's headshots which is horrible and petty uh but the office staff thought it was hilarious so that (laughs) that 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 helped me get in the door a little bit i think uh yeah yeah. and then then after that i I did i tempt i like worked i worked at a bank for a while my last job legit job before I was able to make enough money acting was temping at a bank. Wow. Wow. I was, when I first moved to LA, I was, I worked, I was a receptionist at a health club, an all women's health club. I made four twenty-five an hour. Uh-huh. Uh. Um, people would come in and complain about the parking to me and I would burst into tears and cry. <laughs> um, and that it was on the West side. So it was, you know, very, uh, wealthy clientele. And so these women would come in and like scream at me and I would cry. And then the next day they'd give me like a gift card somewhere. <laughs> and the manager was like, you're brilliant. Um, and then I worked under the table at a tanning salon right at PCH and sunset and no one ever came in. I think, I think, I think. The, was it think, a front? Well, I think the, um, yeah, I think it was a front because literally there were no clients. Uh-huh. Maybe like stayed open somehow. Stayed open, and I worked there all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and um, I never saw. And the great thing was he had all the movie channels that I didn't have, so I was oh, just sit there and watch TV all day. But um, 
honestly, I think there was something shady about it because no one ever came in. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I don't really understand how. And he paid me like $8 an hour under the table. And then, oh, wow. then he wanted me to be the manager. Um, but I got a show that shot out of town and he was disappointed because he was like, I was going to make you manager. And I was like, I, I don't want to be the manager of a tanning salon. Manager of what? There's nobody like, here. Is ever here. <laughs> um, and then I also, I did a short stint as a um, hostess at, um, you know, the, it's not the circular hotel. It's the other hotel right at four or five in sunset. I think it's now called the Lux Hotel. It's oh, not, yeah, sure. It's not the circular one. I wish yeah. I worked at the circular one. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I know but, what you're talking about. But I was a hostess at this other hotel restaurant. Once again, nobody was ever there except for, like, hotel guests. Wayne Gretzky came in one time, and I was quite impressed. But um, uh, I did that very short-lived, and then I got my a, a big TV job and just, you know, Never, never went back to any of those. Um. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the most terrifying thing about this year is I'm worried I've got to go back and get one of those jobs. Yeah. It's, it's scary. Speaking of cooking and jobs, I got to go make my family dinner. Oh, well, thank you so much for being a guest on the Toncast. Thanks for we, having me on the Toncast. It's really appreciate you doing this for little old me. I, I appreciate <laughs> you having me on your show. It's been wonderful. <laughs> and I just want to say thank you to everybody listening. And please tune in next week. I don't know who's going to be hosting. <laughs> <laughs> I might know who the guest is, though. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, bye.